In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Jonathan Lambert. It's great to be here, Carla. Nice to to, to to have you on here. Oh my goodness. Well, we've had Clubhouse together. We've had long conversations and finally get to have you on the People Catalyst podcast. So happy to have you here today, Jonathan. And you had such amazing, like interesting entrepreneurial stories. So I know, I know you can't like touch on all of it, but you definitely have to give uh, the listeners and viewers a little bit about, you know, kind of your journey, where you started, where you're at. And definitely you have to mention how the kids were jumping on your servers <laughs> your living room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, so I've, I started off working. Uh, I, I was very lucky. I had a very, very close friends in, in the computer community. I grew up in the sort of hacker scene in San Francisco and had a number of friends who were like, you need to don't, don't, don't go, you know, environmental engineering. Don't, don't chase like, you know, the security, come out here and work on the internet. So in 1995, I got a chance to come out here and work at some of the first e-commerce companies. Wow, I got to 95 work for, was really the cusp. I mean, wow. It, it was, it was. I mean, I was here in late 94 looking for a job and it was because my friends were early technology people. You know, there are folks that wrote some of the major platforms that, that we use even today. And so I got really lucky in that, uh, you know, I was in this little circle of people who, um, who, who were working with a lot of the sort of early internet. And I got a chance to work for some of the, like the, an early catalog e-commerce company still around, you know, hey, Ken Burke, sure, sure appreciate the break. Uh, it was a company called Market Live at the time. It was, you know, I was building Tony Robbins' first website and doing all this kind of stuff. And, and I worked my way up from there to, uh, you know, working for companies like Medical Logic, which is now GE Medical and, and NextCard, working my good friend Pete Atkins and uh, building the first kind of online credit card stuff. And then eventually over to Apple, got the big company experience. When I left Apple, I, I decided to start running my own companies. And so for the, about the last, you know, just coming up on maybe 18, 19 years here, I've been building te- essentially just disruptive technology companies, some service companies, and leading some mission-critical projects for, for startups and fortunes, basically. And so you know, what I do is I use technology, user experience, and design um, to build a transformative business platform. So, you know, if you want to basically start an initiative to build a new product line, or you want to turn something around that's not working, uh, you know, a lot of times people get themselves in trouble in technology projects. I jump in and I rebuild oh, the whole business sometimes. model and build the company. Sometimes. Yeah, it's it's a lot more common than people like to talk about it. It's it's well, I mean, you know, there's a reason I've stayed in finance because you have to have the money to be able to execute, but. <laughs> You know, that kind of brings us to um, a question I have for you. And you had such an amazing uh, way of communicating this. We were doing a clubhouse and Jonathan jumped in and we were talking about the difference between education, coaching and training and how all are, you know, important, but understanding, you know, the different lanes and how you utilize them. And I think applying that to technology is even more critical than if you say like a service-based industry. I, I think it's absolutely the case. Um, 
you know, one of the things that happens with technology is, is the pace, right? We'll, we'll talk about time, I'm sure, but the pace increases the amount of exposure. So if you are not functioning well, or you're not steady, um, technology is like a great amplifier for the consequences of that, um, that, that behavior. So because, because whatever it is you're not doing right, you'll get yourself in trouble in a hurry. Yeah. Um, because these projects typically are large, expensive, and require you know a lot of a lot of uh, good functioning to kind of get them built. Well, and so much of it is not tangible; <laughs> it's intangible. And when it's you're exactly working right. with the intangible, right. that's a very different space than working with the tangible. Yes, and it's almost always team led, which means that the personality matters. So, what we were talking about in terms of training versus coaching, I think some of the key points there. You know, if you look at coaching, coaching is typically like a one-on-one -on -one and, and, and it's, it's generally something that's designed to improve uh, 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 the, the, the person, right? And whereas training is really about teaching a specific skill set. It, it's often, it can be one-on-one, -on -one, but it's often one-to-many and yeah. it's about sort of bringing somebody in. And, you know, yeah, training is something you typically transfer, do. Right? Yeah, it's a skills transfer. That's right. That's right. So, you know, but if you put these two things together, you start thinking about it, you go, okay, well, you know, if there's training, I mean, in education, of course, we could talk about all day long because it's it's that's the size of a, it's an ocean, right? Like that's the it's just a massive, massive market with many facets. But you know, if we look at if we look at just training versus versus coaching, you know, one of the things that comes up in the coaching work I do a lot with startups is um, sort of the uh, dealing with the anxiety and how do I make decisions and what is the framework I can use in order to kind of, because, you know, especially if you're just starting out in entrepreneurship, like it's absolutely difficult, painful to um, be at the helm and figure out all of these choices. And so I have a framework that this is what you're referring to. I have a framework that I often use, um, you know, uh, which is basically looking, if you look to the future, you look to the past and you look to yourself, right? So it's called foresight plus hindsight equals insight. And so sitting down and making the effort to look at the impact of the decision you're about to make, right? And you can use a Bezos style framework of if it's irreversible or irreversible. If it's irreversible, then you really need to take your time with it. If it's reversible, just make the decision, right? There's a high consequence, low consequence. Th those are the pieces. Then you look backwards in time and you say, um, what's the, what's, the, what, what, what's my previous experience? What do I know here? Um, you know, what is it that's going to guide me in my decision-making, you know, and, and I'm being objective and unbiased in it. And then those insights allow you to make a decision without sort of, um, the sort of the tendency to, to, to kind of second guess and second guess and second guess, because you're, you're really making an objective decision based on what the future impact is going to be, what the history that's leading up to you. And it can be personal, you know, it can be, it can be some of the emotional impact of decisions you made in the past, and then you make the decision you can live One with. of the things I and, love about that, Jonathan, is you know the Hoodoo Method is based off 110 years of marketing yeah. research, right? right? The law of diffusion of innovations, how people adopt new ideas. Right. You're actually taking both the early adopter and later adopter, and you're saying, okay, let's look at what could go wrong in the hindsight. Let's look at where the puck is going, and then like let's come somewhere in the middle and decide like what we're going to do. And then is it reversible or not reversible? That's, um, I, right. I, I think it's That's a great right. um, way to get people comfortable because either you have those that are very comfortable with uh, doing new things and adopting new ideas, but right. don't know how to execute them, or you have those that are great at executing them, but unless they're embracing it, it's really hard to get anything done. That's it. 
That's it. And, and, you know, I think, you know, as you, as you accumulate experiences, there's an emotional price to pay for making executive decisions. You know, not everyone is a sociopath. Um, you know, <laughs> most people aren't. So, well, you know, there's this, there's consequences to decisions inside of organizations. Yeah, no doubt. And um, kind of interesting, we were just talking with uh, a startup company, actually, I was just yesterday, in mm -hmm. regards to, you know, uh, hiring. And mm -hmm. what most people don't know is that wh whatever that individual salary is, mm -hmm. uh, the studies have shown that turnover costs you 33% of what it costs to hire that person. So if they're $100,000 a year, it's going to cost you $33,000 if you can't get them trained up and then integrated into your system. And, and you know, and those pneumatics are only attached to the cost of replacing the employee, uh, not the impact that's of exact, the business. You got it. That's where I was going. I was like, that's only the hard cost. What all yeah. those different soft costs that go into it, the momentum, the culture, the, that's the word. all of those things. And I would actually venture to say that probably even costs you more over time. I would say it costs you a lot more. It's, you know, one of the things is definitely one of the places that it sticks out because it isn't intangible and you've got, you know, all these different people that you need. And, and I always tell everybody, we need you all. We need you at different times. So if you haven't set them up and actually Scrum has been the, one of the best implementations of utilizing the law of diffusion of innovations, in my opinion, it still doesn't take into account like what your core nature of work is. But I think that's why a lot of tech companies, they end up going belly up because they don't know what to do with the cash. They spend it in one way based off of the fact if they're trying to um, not get in trouble or they're changing their mind every other day, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, this is like what you just, you, you just laid out some fantastic, I mean, there's literature written about what you're talking about. It's incredibly important. Um, sort of area. I mean, if you look at sure Scrum, you know, and Lean, I've I, you know it's something I spent a lot of my life looking at, you know, the ODO method and uh, Lean and Agile and Scrum and all these processes that are designed to support. But ultimately, you know, what my 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 one of my former business partners who I love dearly uh, used to call basically um, uh, the, the 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 hierarchy, right? Which is first you have communication. And then you have process and then you have tools. But if you don't have communication, your tools and processes don't matter like at all, right? Because no one is going to be talking on them. And and so when you look at, you know, I, I remember working Are with- Are they going to be software. rolling their eyes, right? The later adopters roll their eyes. Oh God, yeah. Well, it, you know, I just wonder, you know, a lot of times it's it's like, you know, the, the, um, the attachment theory around dating and how all that goes down when you look at, disengagement in the workplace if there's not some equivalent metric that I haven't figured out yet because you know a lot of times it's the same people that are disengaged and it has a lot to do and, and really that's the cost of, of of having a bad hire what you were just talking about is is that you can cause disengagement across the enterprise the people who made the investment in the business believe in you believe in what you're working on and want to go double down triple down and be invested and then they see you make a bad hiring choice and they're going man did I make a mistake you know, or I wish this person, I wish this leader had listened to me, right? Mm -hmm. Or I wish I'd been consulted about this. And so when you miss up with a, a key hire, especially if it's really traumatic, um, the consequences can come slamming down on the organization and they can be far reaching, even permanent in terms of cultural shifts. So, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, a lot of times we look for the quantitative information where, you know, and, and that's been a big part of my learning over all these companies that I build 
is the qualitative management is the hard part. I mean, mm -hmm. I, and, and I assure you, I've made every mistake you can possibly make in the book times 10. Well, and that's right? why like, you know they exist. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The biggest <laughs> failure who's ever succeeded, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. basically any good entrepreneur. Um, you know, so, yeah, so- well, you know, I love that, that though, communication, process, and then tools. That is yeah. really a great insight in regards to understanding that because we always talk, everybody knows the hierarchy in business, which doesn't work yeah, actually, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's the old way of looking at business. Well, and that's my old partner, Kenzie Stewart. Identify that just... it doesn't work and they've had to adjust and uh, amend. Um, right. But the communication and making sure, okay, we got a solid foundation of communication and then you put a process like Scrum, <laughs> yep. or what, right so now we're communicating and there's a process now i'm going to give you another tool uh to be able to regardless if it's you know um something like a disc or a myers-briggs or that's right. Finder that's right. something that's else right. right a tool to support that i think management that's tools right? yeah i think that, well, but you know it, what what do we start out with the bottom higher yeah well, well and, 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 yeah but yeah, most well, of the time we'll give them a tool and be like, oh, nobody's communicating, but- Well, hey, yeah, I mean, that's why tool adoption fails because it doesn't address the human needs underneath it. I mean, you know, I worked really intensively to build the, uh, uh, help, you know, get Jive Software off the ground. We were one of their first major partners and they were the social business software company. And, you know, I watched as, as that software grew and grew and grew. And, and the critical piece that made that software work was that there were highly invested individuals inside of companies that were making that were firing up the implementation and putting all the information into it you know it really is critical and it, it is you know when you really back up carla when you go back to that core of it though around sort of you know communication process tools what you have ultimately again just to boil the simple out of it is you've got hire well or manage hard Right. I mean, and, and it's when you look at it through that, you know, matrix of two by three and you go, wait a second, like if I don't hire well, I'm going to manage hard. Oh, all of those upper level echelon tools get used to manage, which is uh, cancerous to organizational culture because you're in, imposing on people rather than having them organically pick things up and find that they're helping them do their job. Well, and, and Jonathan, that really means something uh, coming from your background too, based off of technology, because it shifts. Technology yes. is moving. It is right. never, I mean, it's a constant, you want to talk about, uh, you know, an area that the law of diffusion of innovations has a yep. complete, yep. Uh, you know, and the different people that you need in order to create the craziest thing is we need everybody to create the new innovations, not just the early adopters, but the later adopters that can, you know, execute it. But the fact that it, the puck is constantly moving. So you're, right, right. you're actually like working in a organization that's going nuts in a vertical that's going nuts constantly, especially today. Well, I mean, has there ever been a time where we weren't living in constant change? I mean, I thought everything would be run by steam engines by now. You know? <laughs> it just gets changed faster now, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder about that. You know, we have a tendency to kind of look at our current situation and be like, yeah, it's, it's changing rapidly. Certainly the modern industrial revolution has brought about like a pace of change in technology that certainly feels like a burden, like you can feel it. Um, but I wonder if this hasn't been going on, you know, relative to what people for maybe 150 years or longer right i mean you know you're looking at steam at steam you know certainly like the 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 level where we're going you know maybe we start from mining coal now we're mining coal with a steam engine that does the water dumping for us um and those are major technology shifts but i think in terms of human adaptation to technology 
um, what we're really noticing at these later stages of this particular cycle is that our our um, our adaptation is getting disrupted. We're 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 finding we're like in almost like a like like a like a like a like a it feels like we've reached a frenzy of technology change where you can't keep up, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. we're subsuming things that, you know, the slower sort of need to be centered inside of yourself. And I think people really struggle with that. Um, yeah, and, 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 but at the same time, I think it's been going on a long time. I mean, you know, you, you have to look at the airplane and the airplane will tell you everything, right? 1906, we got right field. And then next thing you know, 30 years later, we've got, you know, B-52s, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, what? Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's really an interesting point. And we were chatting uh, just earlier about VR and how, yep. you know, for yep. a lot of the stuff that's been adapting, it's like, well, everybody kind of has to catch up too. So, you know, right. it's really expensive in the beginning. And so not everybody can utilize it or they have to have this, you know, computing system behind it. And then that's, you know, less expensive. And it's just really interesting to think of. And I love the law of diffusion of innovations because it's how people adopt new ideas. So if you're looking at technology or you're looking at a, a tool or a management tool in business or a communication strategy or mm -hmm. any of those things, you know, if you can't get your team to adopt whatever that is, I mean, that's exactly what Scrum was designed for, to have a right. team work together to be able to agree upon, right? The project owner, the developers and the person in between saying, hey, uh, let's play fair here and uh, agree upon everything. and. And then also identify where somebody is on that spectrum. You have to, and, and they used it just for a marketing tool. You could use it for anything. You could, you know, it's like, so it's like the largest body of marketing research about human behavior. Yep. And yep. human behavior is critical if you're going to get anything done, especially in technology, because you're dealing, like we talked about earlier, just so much of the intangible. You know, it's really interesting to watch as this generation, it's the, the millennial generation, Gen Z generation are taking a critical eye to some of this. And I, I really have a ton of respect for the way that they're doing it. Because um, there's a level of critical thinking going on that, that you know, they like when people are like, oh, you know, this generation, this, that, I'm like, no, no, this generation sees clearly through everything. It's really interesting. You know, if you talk about what, what you're talking about with the, um, you know, sort of the law of diffusion of innovation, right? Sort of early adopters, you know, early majority, late majority, and uh, what's the last one? Like uh, laggards, right? Yeah, I love the, I just love the term laggard. Like you're a laggard. Like, yeah, well, I, I love what Simon Sinek said on his, he's like, yeah. these are the people that, uh, you know, um, I, I think he said um, something about a telephone still would have a rotary telephone if they could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody's everybody's got their their Ford horse, right? So you know, I mean, if you look, you're really looking at the innovative people being 2.5 percent of the general population. And the idea of building, and I've worked on projects that are full of innovators to the point where there's nobody doing the work, right? Everybody's got great ideas, and you're like, okay, you still need to write it down. We have to have a product brief, you know. Exactly. And then the early adopters. If you look, it's really like the early adopters and those early stage people typically are, you know, arguably 15 to 20% of the population, right? So you're looking at that sort of being yeah, the first period. It is. And uh, the uh, right. shakers, 35% of the populations, and they're thinkers. That's the other part that they don't this put on right. the scale. Right. They're thinkers, so they're in their head. And so we have these negative notions about squirrel or chief idea fairy. That's what they call them, the Air Force, or their head's <laughs> always in the clouds, right? They're the person that yep. looks at something and goes, hey, I thought about that 20 years ago. Yeah, but you didn't get it executed because you didn't have the team to be able to then get to that point. And yes. so- 
and, and then you've got your movers that are early adopters, but they're doers. So that team, I mean, if a shaker doesn't have a mover to connect with, man, it's like, who do you hand it off to next right. to actually get right. something implemented, right? So, right. but I love how you talked about the, you have to have somebody do the work and do the end result and, you know, poke well, ultimately, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, I think, I think, uh, you know, we have a lot of processes like, like the lean process, right. Where we go in and do tests and, and prototype tests and iterate. Right. And we have the IDEO design process, which is like uh, observation, ideation, rapid prototyping, feedback, iteration, and implementation. And, you know, these processes allow, I mean, really common sense, right. Like basically like you should basically check to see if people want your crap before you build it. It's a good, it's a good <laughs> idea. Um, it's, you know, let's formalize that. And let's make sure that, you know, everyone can get behind that idea, but then let's make sure that people actually want it. And, you know, so now the conversation with investors, you know, and, and you know, my, my, my late, I run a venture incubator. So, you know, the conversation is oftentimes like, uh, hey, like um, what exactly uh, is the early traction, the early evidence that you're using to, to build your business? And, you know, I think in that, I think that, you know, it's one of those things, you, you know, we'll get back to some of that VR bit, but, you know, I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about sort of the personal dynamic of what it takes to kind of build your company. Because, you know, one of the things I was saying in that meeting the other day when we were talking about coaching and we were talking about training is how personal that stuff gets, especially with coaching and how business, like this whole generation, I'm going to tile this together for you. This whole generation, this Gen Z millennial generation is like, nah, this is all nonsense. Like this has to matter to me personally. I'm not just going to get on the treadmill and work 60 hours a week in order to get a, a good 401k. Like it also has to make the world better yeah. and keep, you know, you know, and, and I need it to be meaningful. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I need to be meaningful. And if you look at that in that context, you're like, that's pretty reasonable. Like, yeah, I think I'd like to have some meaningful work. I, I like that. And, and then you go, okay, well, um, you know, what are the frameworks for that? So if you look at, you know, coaching and training and you start thinking about that, you know, uh, looking forward to the consequences, right? Which is where we use our creative visualization techniques to look at the impact of choices creatively. Looking backwards into the history, going, what can I learn? What are the lessons, right? Now I'm using a, a, a learning framework towards the world. I look at life like a giant school and everything we do is a lesson. So when you look back and you look for the lessons, you're like, where in my library of lessons is something that can inform this? Then you go into the insights. And you know, I really wanted to kind of put the point that I had in that talk we were having the other day uh, it comes from a beautiful friend of mine, uh, Dakey Fox, who's one of my mom's best friends. And we were having a conversation and she introduced me. I don't know where she got it. I'm sure she got it somewhere. But it was one of the most beautiful frameworks I've ever heard for, for telling the truth, um, which is a great framework for when, you, when you're making these critical decisions. And she said to me, she goes, first, tell the truth to yourself about yourself. Then tell the truth about yourself to others then tell the truth about others to yourself and then you can tell the truth to others about themselves and oh. that framework in the context of major organizational decisions has been like transformative for me because it makes me look at things from every perspective like a slap in the face perspective like you really if you really take that to heart tell the truth to yourself about yourself yeah wow. So, you know, I think that these kinds of tools are where technology doesn't really um, give us a, um, enough um, because it's not asking us to bring our um, deeper emotional, personal selves into the conversation. It's great at organizing information, 
But in order to be a great leader, you have to be um, someone who has passion and connection. And ultimately underneath that is, 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 is oftentimes like a deep caring about what you're building and about the people around you, you know, which comes out in, in, in whatever form you want to call it is a form of love, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately the question you have to ask inside of that is, are you being loving in your decision-making? It doesn't mean necessarily that you're, you know, enabling people, but because um, you may need to be, you may need to lay somebody off and you may, but doing so in a way that is telling yourself the truth, is telling the truth about your own self to the other person to listen to what their truth is. And, and then to tell them what your truth is to them. Imagine if you were applying that framework to a layout and you were actually operating with that level of integrity as a company. I think that that's something that kind of gets missed in the technology conversation. I love it. That's beautiful, Jonathan. So how can our listeners and viewers get a hold of you? Oh, well, yeah, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, you know, uh, my email is just the letter J at bring b-r-i-n-g dot company so that's the name of the venture incubator i run so it's just awesome i know you've got like 15 email addresses (laughs) yeah yeah well you know you know i've been really blessed to work with a lot of early stage entrepreneurs um you know in in helping to build these kinds of 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 programs with this venture incubator over the last couple of years you know, I've been able to kind of work across fintech and security and artificial intelligence and large-scale e-commerce businesses and see kind of like the trends that are going on. But but the truth is that, you know, um, we're all kind of growing and learning together and I'm learning more from the people I'm working with than, than, than anything else. It's, it's, it's been astonishing to watch how people have been able to adapt well, and react to, to COVID. You know what they say, it's either grow or die. So <laughs> Jonathan, it's been so amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear more. It's my pleasure. I look forward to more more chats. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.